welcome to the sixth season of Scene to Song, a musical theater podcast for people who love to discuss, critique, and celebrate musicals as a literary art form. I'm your host, Shoshana Greenberg, and each episode, I'll bring on a guest to talk about a musical, musical theater writer, or a topic or trend in musical theater. My guest today is Christopher Culp. Chris is an educator and trainer who currently works full-time as a trainer and curriculum developer for a capacity-building organization that focuses on sexual and reproductive health, while also adjunct teaching music and human sexuality courses throughout Buffalo. He also teaches clarinet lessons and chamber groups at a local nonprofit, and you may find him teaching, performing, or presenting at a conference. We're going to talk today about TV musical episodes. Hey, Chris. I am so glad to have you on the podcast today. I'm really excited. Thank you so much for having me. Well, we will get right into our get to know our guest questions. What was your first experience with a musical? Uh, So I definitely am one of the people that like grew up with like Disney, the Disney Renaissance. So I don't know which one was the first, but things like The Little Mermaid Beauty and the Beast, and then just The Wizard of Oz. So growing up on those, uh, even though when sometimes we think about musicals, we don't think about those, like that's what I grew up on. So that was what a musical was. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's definitely a lot of people of our generation's first exposure. Um, What is the last great musical you saw? So I've been very excited about and i've seen it twice now titanic which Mm -hmm. is on broadway and uh it's so much fun it's definitely not deep like a lot of musicals i enjoy but uh it is so much fun just kind of joke 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 really good singing and i love that the actors also look like they are enjoying what they're doing which sometimes you know you're not supposed to reveal that, but they're definitely enjoying it. So it's even more exciting. So that's that's been my kind of late, latest show I've seen. Oh, nice. And I I have not seen it yet, but I've heard really good things. Uh, I just know that Celine Dion is the character. <laughs> it's, it's wonderful. I've seen two different people play her now, and both have been fabulous. Um, and it definitely goes, like, the word unhinged is definitely one that works for it. <laughs> nice. Uh, what's a musical that people would be surprised to find out you love and why would they be surprised? So once people get to know me, I think they know that my tastes are a little bit dark sometimes. And I think people would be surprised that really the music for Carousel, I think is beautiful. And Carousel as like a plot and as a show has a lot of issues to it that I don't agree with. And when I, if I teach it or when I teach it, I often like teach it in tandem with like Me Too and all of this stuff. But the music, like I can sit and listen to the music and I'm like, I don't need to care about the plot. I'm, I just like the music so much. So I think that's one that would be something that people would be like surprised of like, oh, that's in your rotation. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, I feel like this carousel does come up a, a bit as a surprising show for people. Um, but 
Maybe it's because of that music. I mean, the music is so great. It's probably one of the best dream ballets. And I love dream ballets. Mm -hmm. This is wonderful. Uh, What's your favorite musical that no one else has heard of? So a few, more than a few years ago now, I was able to see a show called Thrill Me. Um, by Stephen Dolganov, if that's how to pronounce the last name correctly. And it's about Leopold and Loeb, the two uh, young people in Chicago that wanted to like commit the perfect murder because they thought they were better than everybody else. And so it was this two-person, one-piano uh, player show that was um, so interesting and such a weird take on it, hmm. but also um, like fairly good music, uh, really good singing. Um, and I also am a big fan of Rope, the Hitchcock film. Mm-hmm. We'll like, see different interpretations of that, but also like, why is this a story that we tell and what's going on with it? And kind of like also mm-hmm. the queer subtext is really prominent in the, in Throw Me. Cool. I'll, I have not heard of it. So I'll definitely keep my eye out for that. Who is your favorite hero character or protagonist in a musical? And who is your favorite villain or antagonist? So this one kind of gave me pause when I was thinking about it. And at least recently, one of my favorites is Batboy from Batboy the Musical. And I just, I really love characters that are trying to figure out what it means to be human. And so that is the uh, Batboy's kind of like heroic arc, but also the tragedy. Um, but it's also just such like a tongue in cheek kind of like, oh, we're going to like talk about Freud in the same instance we're going to talk about Disneyland. Um, and then as an antagonist, I've always been fascinated with Hope from Town. I don't think she gets characterized as an antagonist so much, but kind of at the end, in some interpretations that I might take, she's the reason that everything kind of like falls apart because she mm. just wants to bask in everybody's love and is kind of like this neoliberal political figurehead of hope. And um, even just the, the moment when she's like, the river's inside you. It's like, come on. You, <laughs> you're just now like playing over the people and just how much that could do damage versus like, the other two kind of forces are both trying to do what's right, but whether or not humanity can do what's right is the big problem there. I saw Town uh, when it came out, but I, ha- I haven't revisited, revisited it since then, so oh, I wow. really should. <laughs> that must have been really, because speaking of where we'll be going, Town yeah. coming out, it, it, um, if you saw it, 2001, so very, uh, a very weird kind of musical to happen post 9-11. Very true. What is a moment in a musical that you think gets to a complex emotional state you didn't think was possible to get to? I mean, this is one of those parts that always just kind of overwhelms me with emotion and I'll like tear up. Uh, in Floyd Collins, which is fantastic, um, there's a part where... You know, spoiler alert, near the end, Floyd is having a kind of a hallucination. And as he's doing it, 
he's hallucinating that his sister and his brother are there and he's been rescued and all this stuff is working out well. And it's the moment where the sister and the brother are singing the parts that in the beginning of the show are echoes because he's singing in the cave and trying to figure out how big the cave is. And he's singing with himself. So the echoes are coming back in all these kind of cool ways. But in the hallucination, his sister and brother fill those spaces and sing those parts. So it's like everything is fulfilled. He's not looking for empty space. Everything is there. And then it's just so like together and wholeness. And you're like, wow, everything's working. And then he's like trying to talk to his uh, papa to be like, do you hear it? And it goes silent. And all of a sudden it's like this fullness of all the music. And then it's silence because then you're like, wait, no, you're hallucinating and you're about to die. <laughs> yeah. I even get goosebumps thinking about it. <laughs> it was like, they were like, let's just do this with musical theater. Like, <laughs> I mean, it's something it's, it's one of the joys of musicals where you're like, I don't see how this would be a musical. Mm-hmm. And yet it is one of like, one of the best to me of like, how can you turn this kind of tragic story of a cave explorer into something that like resonates so many other ways? Well, great. Let's uh, move into our topic section, which is uh, TV musical episodes, uh, specifically from, uh, I guess we're calling it serial TV. And uh, we did, talk uh talk about this in an episode a few years ago so this is like part looking at this is like part two of tv musicals and there's there's been more since that episode to talk about and we're gonna talk about it uh in even more depth so i'm really excited so i guess we can start with kind of your background on this on this topic <laughs> oh, golly. Yeah, i come to musicals from uh, space that not a lot of folks come from. So, like, I, I grew up and was exposed to musicals, but never got super into them, especially um, getting into philosophy, which is my, like, undergraduate and um, one of my master's degrees, is understanding, like, the place of art and the place of art in truth and art in society, and that music has this kind of special place for certain kinds of philosophers and certain theories. And uh, it just got me thinking about how musicals, like thinking about a musical world is its own kind of thing that people think about, Um, but that there's pros and cons to it. And when you think about a musical world, of course, you're like musicals, that the musical world, that's what we got. Um, And very different than operas. Um, But then the Buffy episode came along. And I know that you all talked a lot about the Buffy episode in the previous episode, but I was a big fan of Buffy and the musical episode. I was like, this is fantastic. And uh, I had also been exposed to the Xena episodes. And the, one of those um, fits the kind of work I do. And one of them is more of like a one-off like cover song episode. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just got me thinking about like, how do these work? And yeah. so uh, I've actually been kind of working on serial TV musical episodes for a while now. I was doing a lot of research into it and uh, still trying to find the ways to like publish and and talk about it. 
but I also find that people don't delve into them that much. So I was excited from the previous episode that you had, and also then when other when shows come out like this new Star Trek episode, mm-hmm. you see the articles and you're like, wow, like I could have written something so much better because you just like <laughs> Wikipedia search on musical episodes, right? Um, so so I come to this with like philosophy, but also I'm a clarinet player. I um, study music. I'm a Definitely not a vocalist, so I listen to orchestration sometimes more. <laughs> um, but uh, especially also the cultural moment. So uh, Xena being a precursor, but the Buffy episode also being 2001, because that's a mm-hmm. year for all this, is uh, all of a sudden musicals seem to like come back. And that to me was a big, a big deal. Um, and I say that also... I can't remember exactly what, it might've been 2002, but like Hugh Jackman was hosting the Oscars and had a musical number where he ended with the musical is back. Mm, Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that's also like the cultural moment, like my music history side of like, what's going on? Why is it? Right. (laughs) Cause he was about to be in a musical on Broadway probably. So no, I'm just kidding. Yes, yes, yes. Let's talk about, uh, the decade of the 2000s where we get a lot of these uh these episodes the Buffy one we talked about which feels like a very kind of like a cornerstone of like it was you know very influential for others that came after it although it wasn't the first and uh yeah what do you so what is it about like this this decade I'm not going to be able to speak in like detailed historical markers, but things that we've already like that have already popped up. So we've got the Buffy episode. We've got Moulin Rouge, which Mm. kind of brings in the musical film back into the mainstream a little bit, whatever the mainstream is. Um, But Moulin Rouge also being the sort of like mashup collage postmodern sort of thing. So it's not, uh, related to a lot of previous film musicals as much. And then you have things actually like Town, where Town in many ways is very Brechtian, uh, Bertolt Brecht, and it's also very like, just like address the audience and, and self-referential and that meta kind of thing. And so we have all these things. And then there was that concern um very legitimate concern over the kind of like terrible things that happened about New York city kind of rebuilding itself. And for something like you're in town and some other shows um, that I can't remember quite right now, but that those were part of it versus like, you would think it would be more like golden age of musical theater, like mm-hmm. Oklahoma, we need to, but that you're town would actually be something that was successful so soon after nine 11, like, I think it might have premiered the end of September. Um, yeah. And I also, I mean, I love to mention Assassins was supposed to premiere and they decided not to do the revival then, which was right, a lot of stuff. Right. Um, but there's this kind of that moment and I'm fascinated by things that are meta. So that also has drawn me, but all these things are very self-conscious about 
being a musical. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we just kind of get this onslaught after the Buffy episode where people point to the Buffy episode as like, oh, we can do this. Um, and to me, there's a, like an interesting shift between like something like the Buffy episode to even by the end of the 2000s, like 2010, uh, in some things that I've like been researching and writing, it, you get to the Muppets, the reboot, mm-hmm. and life's a happy song, and that the musical there is completely like back into its box almost of, okay, here we are, life's a happy song, we got all this stuff. It, it, gets, it becomes that more uh, stereotypical optimism, right? Um, but I think, especially like because of nine eleven people were really interested in what people had to express and what their authentic selves were. And that's why all these musical episodes um, have this, like, you can't help but share. You can't help but say the truth. And mm-hmm. I, that might be why some people were latching on to it. It's like, oh, I know the motives of this person now. I know what's going on. Everything is being revealed. Um, and that, to me, was something about, like, especially the 2000s of like, huh, everybody's rolling their eyes when they start breaking in the song and we will know exactly what they're feeling the entire time. Well, yeah, so you have these episodes that are um, kind of like their role in a way is to like comment on musical theater as a, as a genre, either as it was like golden age or as it's currently is like how where we are kind of with you're in town at the time. And, uh, and yeah, like you have to, you have to have some conceit for the songs. So they tend to go in a way of like, whenever somebody, like you have to have rules. So like whenever somebody sings, it's going to be like that it's going to express their, their innermost feelings because that's what, because that's what songs do, which is not, and then you kind of get into like a whole, like, is that what songs do in musicals? Yeah, some of them do, not all of them do, but like, so then it gets into that whole question of, uh, is that what songs do? But in, in the conceit of these episodes that are, com- that are meta, that are commenting on musical theater and commenting, you know, that's what songs are doing. And, uh, and it's real. I thought it was really interesting with the latest one, the Star Trek episode, because it started with that conceit, and it'll be a spoiler who, for people who haven't seen it. So, just warning. But um, but then it kind of gets into like, right? Like that's not actually what all songs do, and the way to stop this, you know, curse that has come onto our ship of like everybody's breaking into song we actually have to sing something that's not that so i thought that was really interesting too Hmm. like acknowledging that 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 there's more to a song than just characters uh being able to express their innermost uh but they're but they're not wanting to say otherwise It takes monumental strength and trust.
I think I, I think I, I hear what you're saying. Because um, especially, and I'm glad you gave the spoiler alert. <laughs> but that the, the the like push to like get to this specific energy level, and I'm not going to know all the technical terms they used. Yeah. Um, but that in in one sense, it can feel really like hokey because they're like, oh, we're singing together because of togetherness and we're a community mm-hmm. that acts to explore. And in one sense, I think that could be like, that still is like their innermost. And it also kind of ties into the sort of like ideology of the golden age musical. Mm. You have to end in the group sing that joins the community together. Right. And um, the other spoiler alert is the aftershocks of a musical episode are also really interesting. And so that was the musical episode in the Star Trek uh, Strange New Worlds was the penultimate episode. And then the next episode is really, it. I mean, it ends on a cliffhanger, but it's a test on, are you actually going to put exploration and community first? Mm. Um, so it sets up the dramatic, like, okay, now we've said this is our main thing. And now we're going to have to put it to the test. Interesting. I, I only watched the, <laughs> the musical episodes, so I didn't watch the previous one. But I did watch all of Buffy. That that was kind of like in the middle of the season, but but you did see like after effects of that too. Well, and with the Buffy episode, the next one is Tabula Raza. Which right. Is one where, Buff, uh, where Willow wipes everybody's minds accidentally. So they have to rebuild their characters from nothing. And so it's it's almost also like a relief. Like, last episode was heavy. Now we're going to have like a comedy one. Mm-hmm. But also the characters are relieved of that burden. Because we don't want to like, mm. so... I mean, I season six is my favorite. But it is also a very hard season. Right. Difficult season to watch sometimes. Yeah, that is interesting too. Like what... So like you have like this episode where the conceit of the musical is like things are going to get said that things are going to come out. Um, Same thing happens in the Star Trek episode. Uh, Things people have been hiding come out, but yeah, like, and as Buffy's the Buffy song at the end of the Buffy episode is where do we go from here? (laughs) Like it's always the question. It's yeah. It's interesting then what people do with what shows then do with all that that's happened in the episode and where that leads. I, I mean, I did, I made sure I listened to the previous episode that you all did, but you, you all talked about that. There's a reason in the show that you have to make, but then there's mm-hmm. a reason the writers are doing it. Right. And uh, that that's a really good way of thinking about it. I think that, you know, you have to have the conceit of why are they breaking in a song? So in Star Trek, this episode it's an improbability rift. And so it's the actual fabric of the universe being weird. Um, but also what is the writer's reason for doing a musical? Is it because there are people on this cast that can sing? Is it because they want to do a marketing ploy? Is it because they want to set up that the final episode of the season is going to be even more dramatic? But yeah, like, let's talk about, like, the common tropes. There's uh, that sort of what is the musical to people. Um, right. And um, I, I do like to add that, like, when people talk about musicals being, like, meta or self-reflexive, 
that's always been the case, especially in film musicals, because that's part of the process of being like, we're natural. Like, we're going to acknowledge the technology that's going on. Um, and so it, it requires even more to go into something that's more meta. And at the same point, you have a lot of folks who, you know, Broadway itself is just kind of hard to access. And so learning what musicals are is more through like Disney, more through like films. And they're going to operate with those tropes as opposed to stage tropes. And they're going to operate with those kind of things a little bit differently. It's trying to use that, like what you were saying before about what is a musical. Musicals, we assume, have this sort of, you're singing your truth. And that comes out of romanticism um, as like a kind of aesthetic movement and also Mm. German idealism. So this is the philosophy part coming in. Um, But we also know that there's parts of shows where people have control over their ability to perform and that actually makes them sometimes more powerful or more interesting. But it, it, it's delving into that very romantic notion of music. And mm-hmm. that's one of the things that pops up. And it's always then commented on. So m- one of my favorite things is the Buffy episode. When, uh, I think it's when Buffy starts singing, she's rolling her eyes as she's doing it. <laughs> stop, but she's rolling her eyes. Um. And other episodes, people are, like, concerned about, oh, did we just sing? Like, what just happened? Yeah. Um, which is also weird because, at least traditionally, people in musicals don't acknowledge that singing and speech are different. Right. And so that's where the, the TV episodes at least get to the meta level. They're like, oh, this is actually a different plane. Like, as someone who likes musicals, you would think, like, oh... I would love to like suddenly be in a musical. I wouldn't find singing weird at all, but you, I think like you still would because singing a musical theater song is different from just like, I have a song in my head and I'm singing it. <laughs> yeah. Like it's, it's, you're in like a, it, it's a form, like you're in like a, you're in a form kind mm-hmm. of thing. And I don't, and like some, not all TV episode musical like writers of the musicals are following like a strict musical theater form but it buff the buffy musical definitely does Mm -hmm. and the star trek i think did sometimes there's like a repetitiveness to what you're like you go back and you say you know you you have a chorus that you return to you have like a hook that you're singing like it's it's not it is not natural. It's not natural speech. And it's not like, it, it's not just like a song that you have in your head that you're singing. So <laughs> I think for anybody, it would be a super weird thing. And if you, and I can understand if you were suddenly hit by this curse or whatever causes it that made the, it happen in the natural world that mm. it would be weird. This, this is, kind of actually goes into another one of the tropes that this is why I kind of make the distinction between serial TV musical episodes and other types of TV musical episodes. Um, Because it seems to me that when it's a serial episode, they're trying to incorporate into the long form narrative. So they have to try to have some sort of conceit for the full episode. And there's consequences and Yet again, these come from romanticism, German idealism. 
there's always a threat mm-hmm. of death associated with it. So that's another reason why I would be like, nope, I do not want the world to be a musical. It's a curse of some sort that happens. Like, it's something that, yeah, like in the Star Trek episode, it was like, we have to stop this. It's dangerous. It will cause something bad to happen, whatever it was. Um, Because, you know, if these feelings get out and these things are known, like, that's bad. And of course, in Buffy, it's a literal demon. (laughs) who's <laughs> there well in the scrubs episode it's linked to um if i remember right an aneurysm right um there's a chicago hope episode called brain salad surgery it's linked to brain damage mm-hmm. um another a canadian show that is basically buffy and south park put together taught in the book of pure evil um it is also about um surviving um so there's two musical episodes, but the second one is more of like a, a serial, full-on serial TV musical episode. And it um, has literal uh, kind of issues of dismemberment mm. where one of the characters loses their tongue. Um, and so that, you know, the long story short is that also then calls back to Orpheus and the ending of the Orpheus myth where Orpheus gets torn apart by people because his song has changed. Mm. So it's all about like, oh, your body can be torn apart. That's how music works. Um, Even even Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, which does not fit into this category exactly because it's not just one episode that was like the whole series, but it kind of is the same thing because she, it's like something happens to her brain that's bad you know and this thing feels like a curse to her and it like allows her to see people's innermost feelings because that's how she experiences them singing or whatever um so it's kind of yeah it's kind of the same it's just a whole series with that conceit (laughs) oh yeah that's a great point that certainly happens and another one would be eli stone Mm which I also think is related to um, it's, it's some sort of brain disease. Um, but the way it operates is he has visions usually of George Michael or George Michael songs that show him something prophetic that's going to happen. Um, but it's also like, it becomes a part of like, do I deal with this brain disorder or do I, do I deal with this brain disorder and lose the ability to hear these songs or do I keep going with this, but I'm going to like degenerate over time. Yeah. And that's, that's also a long, long, not just one episode. Right. Why are, why is music, why are musicals so scary to people? (laughs) I mean, well, lots of reasons. (laughs) I, I mean, that's a really interesting way to put it because people are scared of the truth. Mm -hmm. And also it brings up the question of whether or not the truth is something that we always want to be dealing with. You know, people wanting to hear everything, the truth, like tell me how it is, that kind of stuff. But uh, if I, I'll pivot into uh, Nietzsche, who's kind of like one of my main foundations for this is that, you don't want to be dealing with that the whole time. And that a bit of artifice and a bit of aesthetic 
is actually one of the ways to deal with the horror and tragedy and existence of life. Um, and it's only by finding a balance that you're able to pursue and create the life you want. Um, and it's sort of like a precursor to existentialism kind of things. But uh, one of the, when I teach Birth of Tragedy, which is one of, the, one of his first books, they, there are a lot of quotes that are about like, we need art to deal with the fact that life is terrible. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, maybe the most, not the most optimistic sounding, <laughs> but in a way he's also just very optimistic that we actually have this ability to work in artifice, to work in artificiality, to create things that allow us to deal and survive and persist versus being automatically crushed by the weight of existence. Right. Um, so he's, he's actually pretty optimistic some, most of the time, I think. Mm-hmm. That we can do this. Um, and, I mean, he wrote piano music himself. Some of it's kind of interesting. But uh, that, that art, and especially music, was a way of like, no, we can like actually do things with our lives. Finding this balance of like, I want to understand the truth and know that if I like look directly at it, I might get melted in my face. <laughs> yeah, but there are songs where characters are like not able to face the truth, and that's the song. In not so much in these musical episodes, but in musicals themselves. Um, I mean, like like people will say we're in love, I guess is kind of an example of like, we're not saying we're in love. We're like talking about like what would happen, you know, <laughs> people said, so we're like not saying the truth. We're kind of, I guess, as Emily Dickinson would say, telling it slant, but like the, they're, they're not saying things. And like, that's the, but as an, as an audience, like, you know, that that's kind of what, that's the subtext, you know, that's what's going on. Um, so musicals themselves, like, have this capability, I guess, to have songs that, that aren't just like, I'm gonna reveal my truth. That's not all musical theater songs, I mean, so, and it's just interesting that, like, when these, uh, TV episodes, uh, deal with the musical, that's kind of where they go with it. Yeah. I mean, in one sense, it's making sure that the audience will get it, I think. Um, And also time constraints. But it's also like, you know, having, having a more complex thing other than suddenly having a musical episode. Like if you have a musical episode that has like, more complex or coded or or lyrics that have to be even more interpreted would make it a bit more challenging right and i think like you could and it seems like you could do that in a tv series that's a musical series but yeah but when you get into this like specific form it's yeah it's just like we're gonna deal with the musical in this way, how it's, what is like the worst thing a musical could <laughs> being able to break into song or uh, can mm-hmm. do. 
and it's to get at because I always think like uh, musicals, you know, that's one of their one of its powers. The musical is to like be able to look at a character in this way where they are like able to reveal or able to get to that kind of dimension with song um, mm-hmm. and get really deep into their psyche in that way in a musical. We have this genre of um, of TV TV episodes that that are uh, taking that element of musical theater and saying like, what's scary about that? What's maybe not scary about that? What's maybe like, uh, what could be something good to come out of that? I don't know if episodes have looked at that. I mean, but I guess that's like, now we have to deal with the consequences. Like there is good in having stuff revealed. Like the Buffy episode, it's very important for Buffy in her arc to like kind of regain her sense of feeling alive. Yeah. Um, when I think about this, I think about the Scrubs episode mm-hmm. because the Scrubs episode, the kind of the most affecting part to me is after they do the procedure and the patient is cleared, she is looking kind of really dejected and humming to herself. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I just lost this musical world. And even though, like, the persistence of her perceiving the world as a musical was linked to the aneurysm. Yeah. It's almost as if she was like, but that made life worth living. Right. And now I feel kind of, uh, I mean, it's not that dramatic, but it is like, I'm sad. It's gone. Yeah. And would it be better to live life in a musical, but it was short versus not as a musical, but you can live longer, but your quality might be different. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's basically what Zoe's extraordinary playlist is playing with too. Like, how can I, like, this is a superpower. Like, <laughs> let me try and use this for good. Like kind of thing. Um, but you had like a, a really great way of framing the question of uh, what breaks when you break into song. And I really love that way of uh talking about this uh what what breaks i mean this is where you know i start using terms like metaphysics (laughs) where you know the break is a sort of break in reality and um one way of talking about it uh is in the kind of schopenhauer nietzsche way which is that there's the reality of our perceptions and that's what's real because it's what we're seeing, what, what we're sensing. And then there's a reality that's underneath that that we can't perceive. And music is still under is still our perceptions, but that it acts as if it were the reality we can't perceive. So we're getting access to that kind of underlying truth of the world. Um, and that's part of their like idealism element. But another way is kind of going back to what you said before, um, a book that I really love, and it might be a little outdated now, but it's one of the first books that really did this. It's called The Musical as Drama by Scott McMillan. 
And it is that, you know, what is the break between plot time and lyric time? Where you've got plot, which operates temporally, like you're going forward. And then this idea that in lyric time, things are based on repetition. You have the chorus, you have the form, and that that links and goes back into things differently and and gets at different states or emotions or psychologies, cognitive states. Um, I mean, when I teach, one of the things that I love asking is like, why is this person repeating this so much? In, 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 in uh, speech, if I say the same thing over and over again, you are going to assume something about what, uh, what I'm saying or how I'm feeling. But in music, we can sing the same chorus so much and have the same kind of things, and it doesn't feel the same sort of like manic or any of those kind of things. But it still can mean that or it means some kind of emotional thing. Um, so that's, those are like two different ways to think about how I think about the break is you're breaking from one sense of time to another sense of time, or you're breaking through perception to getting some sort of experience of the imperceivable. I'm not going to say that I agree with idealism necessarily as a philosophical metaphysical theory, but that also, this is where like, Schopenhauer is one of the philosophers that Richard Wagner goes off of. And so that idea of opera comes out of this philosophical tradition. Um, musical theater is its own different thing, though. And I, I mean, I, I like to joke that I think if Nietzsche were around, Nietzsche would really enjoy Brecht. Um, and Nietzsche would enjoy musical theater because it's not going to lie to us and say that the world is musical. It's it, it, the break back and forth is what's really interesting. And, and that brings up the question of like, you know, sung through musicals and that kind of genre thing. Um, but that the break itself also means something. Um, and that if somebody like turns to the camera and starts singing, that also gives us information about not only the break, but what's happened psychologically for that character. Like, I've hit an idea, now I have to sing. Or uh, kind of the other, some of the other ways of like, I started speaking in rhymes and now underscoring happened and now I'm singing. <laughs> yeah. So like those transitions, that's, that's also like, how does that break form? Is it a tear? Is it a smash? Those kind of things. When I think about like, how do you know, as a, from like a writer's perspective of like, how do you know when something's a song? when you're writing, you know, like, it's very intuitive. Like, there's no, like, there's, I, I wouldn't be able to, like, say, like, what the specific rules are for, like, song spotting when you're going through a script or uh, when you're thinking of songs, song moments. Um, yeah, there's, like, so many... That's why I'm, that's probably why I'm, like, responding to, like, well, there's so many different types of songs. It's not just... Uh, you know, a song that reveals innermost feelings, but that's because there are so many different types of songs in a stage musical. There are not so many different types of songs in a television musical episode, which is why yeah. I think I was so struck by in the Star Trek musical episode where she's like, the way to, the way to end this is to do a different type of song. That's not, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, because there are there's because there are so many reasons that people sing in our reality. Like in reality, people sing in a. I think this is what she says in the musical in a religious service. Like people are communally singing together. Like, and that's not. I mean, some people might think it's weird, but that's not. <laughs> that's not weird because it's part of reality. It's something that people do. Uh, people come together and sing. You know, and that's what we're trying to do. But we're going to call it a grand finale, which is like a, a musical theater <laughs> term. Yeah. Well, and it also it also is unique, if I remember things, because it also is one of the only times where a character is like, we intentionally need to break into song. Mm-hmm. So it's not involuntary. Right. It's like, this is what we need to do. And, and I mean, I don't remember the actor's name, um, but uh, Uhura. So they have like their big solo number mm-hmm. about communications. And also they're the one that sends out Anything Goes, which yes. is its own. <laughs> if you're going to send out any musical song, <laughs> asking for trouble by sending out Anything Goes to something that's an improbability riff. Uh, <laughs> anything. Right. Um, but then their song about communication and then the fact that they're like, okay, I'm going to come in and we need to do this song about togetherness and community and communicating with each other is that they might've involuntarily sang the solo, but they have the power of communication Mm -hmm. as the communication specialist to then direct the finale. Right. And that's where some people like really show power um, because and this is not as much in TV musicals, but like in stage musicals or film, when somebody has that power over performance, they're, you know, in Aurora's case, it's not devious at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but some other cases, it can be a little bit like, oh, like, I mean, this is a throwback, but um, The Mask mm-hmm. is one that I go back to. And when The Mask does like cartoonish things, there's like a whole se- section that's Cuban Pete where he just kind of takes over the entire police force and gets away. But it's all on performance. And it's like, he knows that he's doing a musical number right. and he's doing a few things. And that's like, Oh, like this person has power over people. Yeah. Yeah. That just made me think of like another just film uh, example in, in Beetlejuice where the ghosts are. Um, and this is the, the, the movie Beetlejuice, not the new musical Beetlejuice, but the ghosts are, uh, trying to exert power in the house by getting the 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 people living there to be in a musical number, and they think that's going to get them to run away. But of course, they're like, "That was great." <laughs> yeah, that that's a great example. And like, there's the fear right at the beginning, mm-hmm. or like, what? Right. And it's a fun party trick. Um, but it is a sort of like, oh, you have a power. Yeah. And uh, so uh, going back to the Star Trek episode a little bit, another thing like the self-reflexivity and meta stuff is um, that, of course, the people writing it are, are very much, I think, have been pretty public about being indebted to like the Buffy musical on. And so Uhura actually says, I've got a theory <laughs> yeah. at one point. 
And that is that song from Buffy, the big one where they're like trying to start figuring it out. Right. Um, and then uh, I didn't realize it until I was reading some other things, but they're talking about the improbability field. And one of them is, um, they're like, well, you know, if we did this, something else might happen. And another character goes, yeah, we could all turn into bunnies. Yep, yep. Which goes back to Anya's fear of bunnies and how she sings about it in I've Got a Theory in the Buffy episode. Yep, yep. I was, when I was watching Star Trek, I, I was like, oh, that has to be a reference to Buffy right there. <laughs> I've got a theory. It could be bunnies. I've got a bunnies. I'm just cute like Because it clearly could get serious before it's past. I've got a theory, it doesn't matter. What can't we face if we're together? What's in I mean one of the reasons I find them these episodes kind of fascinating is even if it is a distilled-ish kind of version of musicals, they still demand a lot more out of the audience to get uh, the full range of what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. like, if you didn't know the Buffy episode, you're not going to smirk when that pops up. Um, and, I mean, where, where the Buffy episode has this right. kind of, like, cornerstone status is it's, it's you know, the every musical number has its own sort of reference point. So... Going through the motions is the I want song. And you're like, oh, yeah. And now she's singing and the dust from the vampire she just killed is swirling around her. Just like every I want song in a Disney animated film. But that Star Trek episode, like it does its uh, homage to past episodes. Um, And it's doing the metaphysics thing quite literally with the idea of like uh, tears in reality. Um. They do one of the things, too, yeah. that I think is important in studying this is because a lot of stage shows uh, are not the most accessible, this is a way that people are learning what musicals are. And they very much directly say what music is at the beginning right. between Spock and Uhura. Like, oh, well, you know, if we're dealing with something that has a different property of physics we should deal with a communication style that has a different property of physics which that distinction is debatable Mm -hmm. we have prosody in our speech we have pitch and rhythm and movement Um, we don't have specific types of form that music has sometimes but the division between noise and music is its own episode maybe but they're very specific about this is how we're setting up these two different worlds mm-hmm. and educating the audience of what's going to happen. Right. And then explosions. It always comes down to explosions or dismemberment. Um, spontaneous combustion uh, or, or brain issues. But, <laughs> um, I mean, that goes to, like, uh, again, the Orpheus thing. Um there's a really good article or chapter of a book about how also Buffy is related to Bleak House, 
because Charles Dickens himself believed in spontaneous combustion. And spontaneous mm. combustion was about whether or not you were keeping in too many secrets. <laughs> or you were an alcoholic. Or both. <laughs> oh, wow. They're, they're, the, the jury's out <laughs> in terms of like the official diagnosis <gasps> for this. But Dickens believed in it. And that's why a character in Bleak House spontaneously combusts. Right. It is crazy, that link. Um, I was thinking, though, when you were talking about the, the Buffy musical episode form of this song is that I won song and the song is that how in the Star Trek episode it's a little different because and I'm not I don't watch Star Trek regularly but there's in not in the way of Buffy there's not like a a main character like it's more of an ensemble show so it's like harder to like unless there's one character whose story is going to like carry that specific episode like there's not going to be a specific like I want song in the beginning for one character um in the same way but they did have like kind of an opening number type song and then uh, i think, I think it's uhura. Uhura, uhura is that how you pronounce that character's name mm-hmm. uhura um she basically has like the 11 o'clock number and then there's like the finale so there is like a structure they are kind of using like a musical theater structure a bit in there um even though it's not, like, I mean, I, I don't remember there being and well, a specific. And I think it's a, I'm wrong, but. a good thing to point out because also there, the, the why in the show and the why outside of the show, things when I was reading about it are, or her, them being like an established singer and actor, um, the person who plays the. Right. Uh, the security officer, like the main in charge of security, had, um, I think, a fairly big number. Mm-hmm. And they also are a singer-songwriter. And so they use acting. And they, they, they say this. They're like, I use acting to yeah. kind of work more on singer-songwriting. And they released an album the same week that episode came out. <laughs> um. And I mean, that character also being interesting uh, in that she has all this stuff that she's trying to like keep inside and she actually goes ahead and tells without a musical right. number. Yes, that that's the lieutenant, right? Um, I forget. Yeah, I forget her name. But um, yeah, that's really interesting that like her mm-hmm. song is there's nobody else around when she sings her song that's kind of getting it all out but that but just the fact that she had that song to nobody but herself uh leads her eventually to say say and it kind of goes to hasn't been you know having say. not watched a lot of the season uh, or series is that that character she seems to have mm-hmm. a lot of uh self-control and to the point of you know addressed in the episode whether or not she's shutting down so that she's able to not be in the room with anybody else while she sings and then decide that she's going to do it before she breaks into song, that she has some sort of like not power over it, but control over like, no, I don't want this to operate this way. I'm just going to say it, Um, which plays to her character, which is interesting. And then a smart thing. Did I hear that right? 
Did she just shine a spotlight on her innermost feelings Like it's no big deal, say whatever, whenever you like You'd presume with all my mastery To pursue flights of fancy Easy Who am I kidding? I've never found that part of me Cause I'm designed To color inside the lines Cool and methodical Way too responsible I can't help it Sometimes I peek through a keyhole And see people happy talking about communication and them being so versed in music and then being the 11 o'clock number and inspiring the end also fits with Uhura's character. It's not just, you're going to have a number, you're going to have a number. There's a lot of thought in a lot of these. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. I forgot that about the Lieutenant, how she, she was trying to get ahead of it. (laughs) Of this. (laughs) of this of this of the song curse she was like if i'm going to say this thing i've i want to i i don't want to yeah not be in control over it i want to be in control over it which i have to say because it's one of my favorite like pseudo puns ever um and one of my favorite titles of a paper i've ever written is uh going back to the buffy episode which we always have to um willow sings very little Mm-hmm. Alex again was like, I do not want to sing. Right. <laughs> and because she's the most powerful person at that moment and has uh, set a couple things in motion and has a lot of stuff going on in season six, it makes sense that she wouldn't be susceptible or as susceptible to it. Mm. And um, the Schopenhauer, like the big Schopenhauer text is the world as will and representation. And Will is that imperceptible part that is the truth of the world. And Willow's always called Will. Yeah. And I don't think that they were going for this. <laughs> but my one of my papers was like the world as Will and then O in OW in parentheses, mm-hmm. world as Willow in representation. And I'm like, that that pleases me as a nerd. Yeah, no, but that is really interesting how she I mean, you would just think like, yeah, she doesn't sing because Alison Hannigan didn't want to sing. But like, yeah, like it's also possible that she doesn't sing, as you said, because she has she has that much power. Mm-hmm. And I mean, also at this point, she's already kind of putting everything she wants out into the world and to the point of controlling mm-hmm. people. She doesn't have anything to keep secret. She just will make you forget about it. Yeah. <laughs> that much power yes (laughs) let's move on to the why is this so good section uh so you picked uh the tonight quintet quintet from 
West Side Story. And so why did you pick this song for Why Is This So Good? Oh boy. So I'm a big fan of act one closers mm-hmm. and, and just kind of like things where everything comes together musically. And um, the Tonight Quintet is one that, you know, has its status around the world or around the U.S. or and It's got its status. But I think one thing that I don't hear people talk about and is that Anita's role in it. Mm. So this came out of just a random, like, me looking over the score and listening to it. And Anita sings this different part than the gangs and the lovers. And the gangs and the lovers have the main part. Like, they're, they're together, but they're there's a lot of heft in their voices and, and the mixing and whatnot. And then you've got Anita who's like singing this very different part who probably like as an actor, you also have to strain a bit to be heard. The mix is going to be rough. Anita's gonna get her kicks tonight. We'll have her private little mix tonight. We'll walk in hot and tired. But that also, Anita, to me, is like the most interesting character in West Side Story, and mm-hmm. this is more the stage version than the film, because you you get to see so much depth of character, and kind of she's not a she's not a, like a prop. She's not oh here are the lovers here are the 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 gangs. It is no Anita has a reason for everything she's doing, and you're you you see some of the reasons and her interaction with the jets and why she turns and and all this other and like uh the fact that she has this part in the quintet um is very moving to me in terms of uh there's no reason that she should have the solo kind of line in this Mm-hmm. except for to emphasize that she is an important character to pay attention to and that mm-hmm. she is somebody who's different than the lovers and different than the gangs. Um, and so I think it just, it points her out in a way that I don't know if people, I haven't heard a lot of people acknowledge enough of like, not only is she kind of out there musically or as a character, but like musically she's also being separated as somebody to listen to. So it's, it's, and then, you know, the kind of like sadness of that she wants Bernardo to come back and we know that he's not like, if we've seen it before, she's like, Oh, I can't wait for him to come back. Cause we're going to have sex. And you know that he's not coming back. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing is like, Oh, yikes. So. Yeah. Cause her part is the Anita's Anita's going to get her kicks tonight. Yeah. That part. Yeah. We're going to have our private mix. Yeah, no, I love that way of looking at this song because I feel like, when, yeah, when I hear people talk about this song, it's all, you know, Bernstein's music and how, like, it's all, I mean, and it's amazing to analyze Bernstein's music and, like, how it's all coming together and overlapping and all the parts that we've, we're hearing but and all that. But, um, 
but yeah, to look at it from like this kind of character standpoint, how she's kind of in between, she's like the in between character of these these two, the gangs and the <laughs> and the lovers. Yeah, she's. I mean, in some ways, she's the the more the most real. Mm-hmm. Um, but she also like has her own specific motives, and that are so developed. And she's like, I'm in love with this person, and I care for these people. And I also acknowledge that society is this type of way, and so we have to navigate a certain kind of way. But this is what I want. And so mm-hmm. it's very, like... I mean, the, the things that happen to her in Act 2 are really upsetting because she's such a strong character. Should we move on to the final section? Something wonderful? Sure. Uh, just anything upcoming or current in musical theater that we are excited about and want to give a shout out to? Um, I'm going to go with two. Mm-hmm. One is my mixed feelings about whether or not I want to go see Here We Are. <laughs> uh-huh. The musical Sondheim was working on when he had died. Yeah. Um, Sondheim seems like a person who would want to have a sort of like final say on what goes out. Mm-hmm. Um, at least in terms of like that he's finished the, the piece. Um, and I would like to respect that. And I am very fascinated about the intersection of surrealism and music. And the fact that Sondheim would work on something that's about surrealism or from the Breton surrealist films. Yeah. I'm like, like I need to, I want to see it and I don't know, like I try to like be respectful of author intent sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing that I'm really excited about is the touring and then Broadway production of the Wiz. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my shout out is uh, a friend of mine actually just published a book called Oz and the musical. Oh, and cool. uh I taught it in a class last year. I teach a musical theater class adjunct. And the, the book is um, about how people perform the American fairy tale through various versions of the Wizard of Oz musical. Mm-hmm. The original uh, stage show that Baum was part of, the MGM musical, uh, The Wiz, Wicked, and other things. Yeah. Oh, that sounds really interesting. Um, it, it really great. Uh, and the students loved it. And I am only familiar with the film, The Wiz. Mm-hmm. And so he goes into both um, the film and the stage. And so really fascinated to see the stage version, especially having gone more into like 
all the issues that happened when they made the film and like mm. who was in control of it and how he yeah. pulled on some of the casting. Like I've always loved most of the film um, and especially like in terms of like symbolism and all these, but the stage version, I'm, I'm really excited about um, in particular uh, Wayne Brady as the Wiz mm-hmm. um, because that character is completely different from the film. And also Wayne Brady just kind of being like, kind of, uh, not kind of, like a really kind of magnetic, energetic actor. Um, but also now that uh, he's come out as um, in the queer world mm-hmm. and that character being like a flamboyant, like sequin cape wearing kind of character, um, the Wiz, I'm like, this is going to be exciting, I hope. So that's what I'm... Um, they're not touring anywhere near me, um, but I'm also thinking about waiting till the Broadway because that's when Wayne Brady's going to join the show. Um, oh, okay. So yeah. I'm like, yeah, I can wait till then maybe. But it, that looks like, and I think an important time to bring it around, especially when we've got so many critiques of the Great White Way going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so. Yeah. Yeah, I those are probably two of my thing, t- things that I'm looking forward to as well. I do have tickets to Here We Are. Cause I know, actually, I know nothing about it. I don't know what it's the material that it's based on or anything. So I sh- probably should look into that before seeing it. Being able to go into it and be like, hey, what's happening? Might be really yeah. interesting too. <laughs> Thank you all for listening to this episode of Scene to Song. You can write to scenetosong at gmail.com with a comment or question about an episode or about musical theater, or if you'd like to be a podcast guest. Love this podcast? Help it find more listeners by rating it on Apple Podcasts and leaving a review. Follow on Instagram at Scene to Song, on Twitter or X at Scene Song, and on Facebook at Scene to Song with Shoshana Greenberg Podcast. Sign up for our monthly e-newsletter, scenetosong.substack.com, and contribute to our Patreon. The theme music you are hearing is by Julia Meinwald. Check back here in two weeks for our next episode.